You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. There's a lot of noise that's going to happen, and that's okay. The Lord is faithful and working in your children as well um, and drawing them, and we believe that God is going to be faithful tonight in spite of whatever raucous may come out of them. So please be encouraged. Really glad that you're here. Um, Before we jump into the heart of this text, um, let's pray together and ask the Lord to open our hearts to this word. God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for young, for old, Lord, for uh, new believers, for seasoned believers, Lord. We thank you that uh, we get to be here tonight. And I pray that as we examine uh, your supper that you've given to us, Lord, your sacrifice on the cross and your love for us, that we would be stirred to affection, Lord, to obedience, Lord, to respond accordingly in repentance where necessary, God. And we ask that you would move through this word and appear larger in our hearts than you already do. In Christ's name, amen. So my goal for today is to look at the institution of the Lord's Supper uh, and its purpose, but in order to do that, we have to first look back to the Old Testament and find its origins, and we find those origins in the Passover. So I'm not going to go through all the verses that describe the Passover, but most of us know that the Passover is the story of how the Israelites were instructed to spread the blood of a lamb on their doorposts. Um, And when they did this, it would spare them from the plague that was the angel of death that had been set upon them uh, against, excuse me, set upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But... What also needs to be included in the Passover story is that God commanded the Israelites to eat, to feast. So to start, I want to jump in and talk about some of the parallels that we clearly see between Christ and the Passover that are shown. Uh, Exodus 12 tells us about the Passover itself, saying that each household of Israel, like I said, is to take a lamb, and that lamb was to be unblemished. And in the presence of the entire assembly of the congregation of Israel, slaughter that lamb and they take the blood of the lamb and this is this is an important part the heads of each household were responsible for putting that blood on the doorpost so it really was the leaders of these families were responsible for putting that protection that God had offered on the doorpost so the elders of these households would do that and then they would be spared by the angel of death they were also told to consume the meat of the lamb after roasting it over an open fire. Additionally, they were told for seven days to eat unleavened bread to remember that God had brought them out of slavery. And this bread, which was to be unleavened, was specifically given to them for remembrance. And it says that in the scripture. So, through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, Israel was spared and then given bread to remember their deliverance and God's mercy. In 1 Corinthians 5, Uh, reminds us, and Paul says to the church in Corinth, it says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the first obvious parallel here is that Christ is our Passover lamb. That's what Paul said to the church in Corinth. You had the blood, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts to spare the Israelites from the angel of death and the blood of the lamb shed on the cross 
to spare God's church from death. So later in the passage, it's just another parallel. It tells us that the Israelites were to take, it says, quote, a bunch of hyssop and dip it in blood, that blood of the lamb. We also know that on the cross, Jesus was given vinegar on a hyssop branch. So you can see that type and shadow being fulfilled there as well. Exodus also tells us that the Passover lamb was to be consumed and its blood shed on the doorpost, but one of the requirements was also that none of the bones of the lamb were to be broken. And this is a beautiful thing because the New Testament parallel is that at Jesus' crucifixion, his bones were not broken, which was an abnormal thing for the crucifixions at the time because the way that you anatomically handled crucifixions was nails to the wrist and you would be strung up like this. And then additionally, they would put nails through your shin area or your heel. And so you would have three points and essentially you could choose either to push yourself up by your feet and your knees to, to take the weight off of your wrists or you could give way and let your wrists take the weight. And eventually, if you were somehow able to survive long enough, they would break your knees, break your legs, so that you wouldn't, weren't able to support yourself and you would end up suffocating at that point. So these parallels are beautiful and they're vital for us to remember, but there's, a, there's an, an additional point of focus here for us tonight, and that is going to be about the table. So the whole feast of Passover and all the things that God commanded within that and the Lord's Supper that we read about in Luke were commanded to be recognized at table. You see, the table is something that's often spoke about in scriptures as a place where feasts, where decisions, conversations, communion, they all happen with one another. And it's also a place of invitation and honor. So in the Old Testament, there are countless examples of the king inviting people to his table for feasts. This would have been a huge honor. You see, in Psalm 23, David tells us that the Lord prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. It's an interesting passage, but this is signifying that even in the midst of trouble, so the context, right, is David says, uh, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And then he goes on to talk about how God comforts him and prepares a table before him in the presence of his enemies. So this signifies that even in the midst of battle and trial, that David feels as the guest of honor at the Lord's table, safe and secure. First Kings says that King Solomon's deputies would come to his table each month and that they would leave lacking nothing. And that's the same language that's used in Psalm 23 when it says, the Lord is my shepherd, semicolon, I shall not want, or I lack nothing, or I am in need of nothing. So these, these, these deputies would walk away full and merry, lacking nothing. And 2 Samuel tells us the story of Mephibosheth, who was a cripple, who was freely invited into the kingdom and invited to the table with David, even though Mephibosheth was a relative of a previous regime that David had overthrown. And tradition would state that when a king would overthrow a regime, all the relatives of that previous regime would be wiped out. And so it was unheard of that, that somebody would have mercy on somebody like that. But he was invited to dine at table. And in the New Testament, we see that Jesus sits at table with many people as well. And a few examples of this, Luke 7, Jesus enters the house of a Pharisee. 
and dines with him at table. Matthew 26, a woman came to him and anointed him with costly perfume at table. John 12, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha made Jesus supper and sat with him at table. The beauty of the table is that in the Last Supper, the disciples are sitting at table with Christ. They're sitting at a place of honor next to the king, yet if we look back in the passage at Luke, Jesus says that he is the one who has earnestly desired to have this feast with them before he suffers. Jesus desires to commune with us. Jesus desires that we would commune with him. See, our participation in the Lord's Supper at the Lord's table is not a ritual. It's not mere tradition. No, it's union with Christ at the Lord's table. And if I can be honest, it breaks my heart that we as a Christian culture will choose to so frequently and so freely be absent from the body of Christ on the Lord's day. When we celebrate at the Lord's table together. And it breaks my heart that even for a lot of us that do take each week, we will gather and we will sit at the table of the Lord and one another. And we often don't even see that God himself is inviting us to dine with him. And just like Solomon's deputies leave that table lacking nothing. Friends, it's my earnest desire that if it doesn't already, that the Lord's Supper from now on and the time where we commune at table together is a precious jewel to you, given to you that you may be reminded, just like the Israelites were given the bread of remembrance, that you were delivered from slavery and sin and have been given the promise of a promised land. Just as the Israelites remember, so do we tonight and each Sunday. But I want to bring attention to one last theme of the Lord's Supper. Uh, and we're going to come back to the table because I think that's the most important in this message tonight. But one last theme of the Lord's Supper is the covenant between the groom and his bride. So I'm going to read the text from Luke one more time because I want you to remember the context of this as I go through this next portion. So Luke 22 says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So there is an incredible, a beautiful and a spiritual story happening here that often goes untold. And I think it's important that we talk about it. See the beauty of the last supper is that it parallels the betrothal or the engagement process that the Jewish people would have known so dearly. So let me spell it out for you. 
So when a Jewish man desired to be married to a woman, he and his father would go to the house of the bride that the future groom, hopefully, uh, wanted to marry. And they would show up and they would knock on the door. And at this point, the woman had a choice. She could open the door or she could hide and pretend that nothing was going on. So if they knock on the door and the, 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 the woman lets the groom and his father in, that's the first step. So basically she's saying, okay, like I'm going to give this guy a chance. We'll see where this goes. So they'd, they'd walk in and Revelation 3.20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So upon entering the house, they would sit down where? At table. And the groom would pour a glass of wine. And then he would take a drink and he would pass it across the table to the woman that he loved. And he would say, take and drink. So this was the last chance, right? So she, she opened the door. After this moment, there's no turning back for her. If she chooses to take and drink, that is her way of saying, I do. So let's say she says, I do. They have now drank from the same glass. And we see this same kind of exchange in the Last Supper when Jesus says, take and drink, and they all drink. But the bride and groom drinking from the same cup in Jewish tradition would signify that they are both willing to set themselves apart for each other and that they agreed to combine both their families into one large family, implying that the bride and groom were now willing to serve each individual member of the other family as well as their own. And that sounds a bit familiar to me as we are, are we not all one big family under the name of Christ, fully committed to serving one another? So once they drank the wine... The two families would dine together at the table, working through the details of the marriage in a contract that is called the ketubah. The ketubah stated many different stipulations and commitments, but it stated that the groom would provide for the bride and that he would go prepare a place for her to live. And in Jewish culture, typically the groom would go and prepare that place at his father's house by building an extension onto the pre-existing house. John 3, Jesus says, Let your heart not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Meanwhile, it would be the bride's responsibility as the husband is preparing that place for her to keep herself pure and prepare for married life. So after the ketubah was made official, the groom would then leave the bride to go prepare a place and he would promise the bride that he would not drink wine until they both shared a sip of wine together at the feast on their wedding day. And Jesus says in the Last Supper, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And it keeps going. The groom would then work diligently to save enough money for the entire first year of marriage uh, but that amount of savings was necessary on the approval of the, his father. So if his friends or anybody would come to him and say, hey, when's your wedding? When you get married, it feels like forever. He would say, only my father knows. But Jesus says in Mark, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even, in, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. 
And there's some more to this, but I'm going to skip to the end here. And lastly, when it was time for the wedding, the groom would come, get, to come to get his bride surrounded by his groomsmen. And they would announce the, 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 the groom's arrival by shofar or trumpets. Revelation 19 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And then after the wedding took place, the first thing they would do is drink of the fruit of the vine at the marriage supper, and later they would consummate the marriage. So friends, this beautiful story gives us a picture of the incredible love that God has for his children. He invites us to his beloved table each week to remind us of this covenant that he has made with us. And just like the Israelites, we are to remember our deliverance each time we take of the bread and the cup. And just as Paul says in the New Testament, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So, may tonight, may each Sunday now be more precious to you than it was before because of the broken body of Jesus on the cross and the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, which we are celebrating today we now have communion and union with Christ. So may each time we take of the body and blood, we be reminded that the bride, us, are waiting upon Christ, the groom, to return and take us to be where he is, the marriage supper of the lamb, where he will drink of the fruit of the vine finally again. So today, on Good Friday, all who are in Christ are invited to the table of the Lord, where we, like those who walked away from Solomon's table, will walk away lacking nothing. We're invited to the table where we, like Mephibosheth, come crippled and empty-handed to a place of honor. We are invited to the table of the Lord where Christ reminds us that we are betrothed to him and that he loves us. So if you're not a Christian in the room tonight, as we begin to take, rather than taking of the elements of the Lord's Supper, what I ask is that you both reflect on the words that you've heard tonight and that you respond to the gospel, to turn from sin and trust in forgiveness of Christ. And to celebrate Good Friday today, we do have homemade bread, which was lovingly made by Miss Sherry Hart, and we have juice cups at each station. So in just a minute here, we're going to come to the table, which normally we don't do on Sundays, but we are today. And the way that's going to work is that these middle sections, you're going to go to the inside and then this way. And if you're in the outside sections, you're going to line up towards the wall. So everybody's returning back to these same sections. So middles, you're coming in, outsides, you're going out. And then what I'm going to ask, though, is you approach the table of the Lord with reverence and humility, tear off a piece of bread, take a, a cup of juice, and return to your seat. Don't take just yet. During that time, which you're waiting in line, or if you return to your seat, use that time to examine your heart, as Paul says, to think upon the sacrifice of Christ. And we will all stand together at the appropriate time, and we
we'll take together. So um, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to ask the Lord to help us examine our heart. And as I say, amen, may the spirit lead you as you come forward. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we are betrothed to you, Lord, that we are invited to the table where we will walk away lacking nothing. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, anybody who is not a Christian in this room, I pray that today is their day of salvation. Lord, we thank you for this. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. As the Spirit leads.